This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. Are America's public schools doing a bad job of educating our kids? We'll hear from a top educator who says the real factor behind student performance is a family's income level. If families have stable living conditions and jobs, those kids do well in school. If you don't have that, you can throw all the resources you want at a school, and it's not going to do very much. Then, it seems like millions of people are addicted to technology. A marketing expert says today's tech products are irresistible to many consumers. You know, we used to think about people buying things as the key metric. You want people to buy your products. Now, for so many digital experiences, it's about buying, but it's also about continued use. Those two interviews and more are coming your way on this week's show. InfoTrack begins right after this. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. Our next guest has written extensively about the state of today's education system. He is David C. Berliner, Regents Professor of Education Emeritus at Arizona State University, and he's also taught at many other universities at home and abroad. Professor, we often hear about the poor performance of students and how our schools need to be fixed. And you've looked at the situation and come to a slightly different conclusion. Can you tell us about it? Well, it's quite easy. We have many students who are doing very well. The conclusion that our schools are not doing well is just simply false. It's not reality. There are many schools and many students that are doing quite well and many that are not. When you take the average score, the average male is 5'10 or so, but we have guys 6'4. So the average score is misleading. What we have are schools where the families are in the upper income and the kids' income at the family level is in the upper income, and the kids from those schools would place in the top 10 in the world. And we have kids who are in the bottom 25% of income going to schools that serve poor kids, and they're like 50th in the world. So the average U.S. performance doesn't look well, but to say the schools are failing is patently false. The schools in uh, urban areas, and this is, I guess, where the poverty would be concentrated, should they get more resources in order to bring them up to the level of the other schools? Well, we've been doing that for probably 50 years, trying to find ways with Title I money and special ed money and lots of programs that are designed for poor kids in poor schools. And it hasn't been working very well. So to continue to do that, I find stupid. What we do need are housing policies that stabilize people, that provide places in more middle-class communities for poor families that can get housing there instead of concentrating all our poverty people in one little community and one little neighborhood school so that they don't get the advantages of middle-class attitudes, belief systems. Middle-class and upper-class high schools have advanced placement courses. A lot of poor schools for poor kids don't, so they don't even have the opportunity. What we need to do is break the housing pattern, and my belief is that housing policy is educational policy. And I'll go on and say it, that jobs policies are educational policies. If families have stable living conditions and families have jobs, those kids do well in school. 
And if you don't have that, you can throw all the resources you want at a school, and it's not going to do very much. Teachers are important. The leadership's important. Nobody denies that there are important qualities that a school can bring to bear to influence the life of a child. But if you're dealing with a lot of poor kids in neighborhoods that are high crime, neighborhoods that have broken homes, neighborhoods with lots of single parents, neighborhoods where people have to move a lot, you're not going to solve the problem in school. It's an out-of-school problem. We're talking on InfoTrack with David C. Berliner, Regents Professor of Education Emeritus at Arizona State University, talking about the state of our educational system. Professor, you mentioned teachers. As a general statement, would you say that schools in the poorer areas are not necessarily attracting the best teachers, or is that not a factor? Well, they're always attracting newer teachers because the better teachers move on. Within the district, they move, they drift to the better schools, meaning easier to teach kids. And so in the poorest schools in any school district, you generally get newer teachers because of the way seniority works and teachers can move around a little. But they're not really less qualified. They come out of the same kinds of institutions. They come out of the same state colleges. They've had the same training. It's just much harder to have an effect. Supposing you have a class of 30 kids in a school that serves the poor, and two of them are absent over 30 days of school year. You're spending a lot of time trying to catch those kids up, and it holds back the rest of the class. So you may not have kids who are absent 30 days in the schools that serve the wealthier kids. So it's just much harder to do. But the teachers are not incompetent until recently. And by that I mean in the recent shortage that's developed, because we don't treat teachers nicely and we're not paying them well in many states, shortages develop, and so we're attracting teachers from alternative certification programs. Teachers who are totally unprepared for the life of a classroom, coming out of five-week wonder training programs that'll get you a certificate to teach, it's rare that one of them is doing their job. Can you give us some statistics, if you have those handy, in terms of how wealthier U.S. kids match up to other countries? Oh, sure. Kids that attend schools where under 10% of the families are in poverty will compete with any other nation in the world in terms of math, science, and reading. They're in the top two, three, four all the time. So there is no problem in America for kids attending schools where most of the families, public schools now, where most of the families are in the upper 10% of income. In fact, if you look at the kids going to schools where less than 25% of the families are on free and reduced lunch. Those kids are very competitive with anybody in the country. They'll match most nations in the world. We are beat often by Koreans or Singaporeans, but not by much if you're a wealthy kid in the U.S. But we have to remember that the reason for that is not that our schools are bad, it's that our childhood is different. We insist on a childhood where kids may belong to sports clubs. They swim, they play football, they play baseball. They may belong to the chess club. They may belong to the debate team and go away for a weekend on a debating competition. What we have is a childhood that enriches lives so well that our 30-year-olds in America win the award year after year for being the most innovative in the world. Our 15-year-olds, however, are not as competent as, let's say, Koreans or Singaporeans on a test, an international test like the PISA test, because our kids don't study as much. But it's not studying alone that makes you a creative human being. 
The reason we win the Innovation Award every year is because we have a childhood in America that fosters that kind of stuff. The kids in Korea, after five or six hours of school, they go to school, to private schools for five or six hours. Professor, what about the role of parents and how that affects student performance? That would make a difference across all income levels, correct? Absolutely. If you look at a school that serves poor kids, quite a few of them will be performing at grade level or better. And you can almost always depend on the fact that they're coming from homes that are more stable, that books are read, that the television gets closed off, that they don't miss school, that they don't have to care for siblings, etc. So there are parents that make a difference in the lives of kids who are poor as well as the lives of kids who are rich. It's just that the magnitude, the numbers of those parents in a school that serves the poor is much less than the numbers of those parents in middle-class and upper-class schools. Well, as we wrap this up, do you have any last words for our listeners on how we can perhaps start to solve some of these problems with the educational system? Well, the first thing to do is to make sure you have teachers who are well-trained and pay them enough so they stay in the field. Teachers don't hit their stride until about the 10th year they're teaching. And if we lose 20% of them in the first few years, we're going to have a whole bunch of amateurs constantly entering the profession. And they need some respect. If everybody keeps running around saying our schools are terrible, our schools are terrible, when it patently is not true, then you're hurting a profession. Why would you go into it? And what we need to do is to remember that teachers can't do everything. And neighborhoods are important. The cohort you go to school with is important. And if we're going to develop an apartheid system of housing in America where we partition off four people, we're never going to improve those schools in the ways we would like to. David C. Berliner, Regents Professor of Education Emeritus at Arizona State University. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Next, are you hooked on using a smartphone or other high-tech product? How to break the addiction, coming up. Stick around, there's more InfoTrack straight ahead.